What we want to talk about is um, life change. I know that we advertised uh, talking about the church, but we're not going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about life change. Um, when you become a believer in Jesus, there's this massive change that takes place in who you are. Sometimes you don't see that change on the outside. That's okay. The change starts on the inside, and things be things are planted in you that were not there before, and then there's this continuous change that goes on after the initial massive change, because then you continue to grow and mature in your walk with God. So there's this massive deposit that God makes in your life, and then after that, it has to begin to work inside of you before it can be seen on the outside of you. So the change begins on the inside, but the change eventually has to reach the outside, your life, so that other people can see it. So let me tell you some of the things that change on the inside. Your attitude, your values, your morals, your perspective, because you now have a kingdom perspective, because you've entered into God's kingdom, Colossians 1.13. Your desires, your dreams, and probably most importantly, your priorities. And those things are not things you have to work with work at having, they are deposited inside of you when you become this new creature in Christ. And then in, in time, they will work themselves out and people will begin to see those things in your actions, in your words, in who you fellowship with, who you spend time with, what you do with your life, the way you treat people, the way you value life. Um, it says you begin to treat people like Jesus did, and Jesus treated people with dignity and respect. So we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there's going to be three or four key words throughout all of this. When we encounter God and his love and become born again, we become new creatures in Christ. And that's not something you do. That's something God puts inside you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Very familiar. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're reading the Passion Translation, it says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. The interchange changes are instant and they're permanent. Here's the problem. These changes on the inside often take a little while because these new things need to take root. And they have to take root before you bear fruit on the outside. So when you first become born again and have this encounter with the living God, the major change takes place instantly on the inside. But it has to take root before it begins to bear fruit on the outside. So change is a given, and then you have to make a commitment to continue to change as it works itself out in your life. So I have a deep concern that I've been mulling over for probably a decade, and I've been really chewing it over for the last few months. Because it seems to me that the vast majority of the Christian world today 
the believers in the Christian world are not changing. People get born again and then continue to live life just like everybody else around them. And you couldn't tell if they were disciples of Jesus or disciples of the devil. And if you had to take a guess, you might want to decide on the latter, not the former. So this instant change that God makes, this new creature that we become, it doesn't get released in a lot of believers. And so there's little change. And if something changes, it's usually not an external change and it doesn't last very long. It's not sustained. And I think that's because there's no roots. So here's what normally happens. Somebody gets born again and then people are told, well, now you have to add some things to your life because now you're a follower of Jesus. But you have to note all these things that we add are external and has nothing to do with this internal deposit that God is making. So what do we do? We take somebody who has just left the world and entered the kingdom and we tell them, good, now you have to pray. And now you have to read your Bible. Um, and sometimes somebody might even suggest you study the Bible to show yourself approved, a workman. We worship. You should journal. You should become a member in a local church. You should attend frequently, although infrequently is the key now, uh, services. And you should fellowship with other believers. But these are all external things. They're additions, outward changes, but they don't lead to the release of the inside change that God has planted in there. So there seems to be little real inner life change leading to outward change. Um, it looks like when somebody says they're going to follow Jesus, all we do is we add a whole pile of other things on their shoulders to carry new things they must do, but there's no change. And so young people are looking at that and they see very little relevance to the Christian faith and even less relevance to the church because they see how little it has impacted or influenced the life of the believers that they know. So as I think about that <coughs> and examine what's happening or what has happened, I see a couple of consistent trends. So the first thing I noticed was the church is focused on information. Like right now, we're taking notes. Mm -hmm. We're focused on information and not transformation. So let me state from the beginning here, I'm not against knowing the Bible. I'm not against teaching good Christian doctrine because it's very much needed in this day and age in the church. I'm not against imparting a Christian, a good Christian worldview. But the reality is that it often becomes more information for the sake of more information for the sake of more information. And there is no life change. There's no change in the heart. There's no inner change. There's no change. I think the second problem we have is the church is aimed at the head and not your heart. And change originates in the inner person, the heart. So we're aiming at the wrong place. Now we do that because we have a rational approach to the Christian faith and to the Bible. Because we live in a very rational world where we can think things through, logically understand things, 
So we take that rational, logical, understand things approach to the Bible and to the teachings of the church. And we have a logical approach to the scriptures because we live in an age of reason. As a result, we have a natural outlook. We have a natural approach to life and not a supernatural understanding and not a supernatural approach. We don't think supernatural. We think natural. We plan a day. We trust our own understanding of things for that day. We work from a foundation of our own life experiences. We think we're pretty smart, but our wisdom pales to insignificance compared to God's wisdom. And because of those two things, that we're looking for information and not transformation, which said a second way would be aim at the head, not the heart, we're not seeing the release of this new life. I used to say, well, that person isn't saved. You can't say that. I shouldn't say that. But there's no release of this new creature in Christ that they have become. And I think the thing that really pushed me on all of this is where I read that Jesus says you can have life and have it more abundantly. And I honestly don't see people who are believers living an abundant life that Jesus spoke about. Not only did he speak about it, but he promised it. So I think this new creature is screaming, wanting out of a lot of people. But the church hasn't taught people how to release this new creature. And so we've just looked at them and written them off. Maybe I've looked at them and written them off as, well, then you're really not saved. Well, maybe you really are saved, but you don't understand what all that means and what it entails. So, let me state something else up front. I don't feel negative about this, and I don't want you to feel negative about what I'm saying, and I don't want you to leave with a negative taste in your mouth, but I do think we need to face a reality. Um, because people are looking at us and not seeing what they should be seeing. Um, we need to face the reality that maybe we're not living the supernatural and abundant life that Jesus lived, that Jesus spoke about, that Jesus demonstrated, that Jesus promised us. And maybe we need to do more than just read the books about the people who did all of this a hundred years ago and we get all excited and goosebumpy about them when we read them and just begin to realize God hasn't changed and he can do it for them, he can do it for us. So I'm approaching my 43rd year of having been born again. <sighs> Doesn't seem like that, but it is, I counted them up today. I was healed on November the 8th, 1976. I was saved on November the 9th, 1976. And then on February the 9th, 1977, I had a second encounter with third encounter with God and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the first sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not tongues, it's trouble. Mm -hmm. So the night that I was healed, as I thought this through this week, I had no idea of what happened other than I was healed. In hindsight, I understood that I had no deep biblical understanding of what had happened in my life. I just knew I had encountered God. I didn't know his first name was Jesus, but it was a sovereign move of God, and I encountered God. Okay, 
The night I was born again, I again encountered God in a very real way. So the first time I encountered him, it didn't change my heart because I didn't know God and he wasn't changing my heart. But he did change my understanding a little bit. Like, wow, there is something that's happened to me. I got healed. The second night when I got encountered God and got saved, that's a heart thing. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I saw God, I heard God, and I touched God, and God touched me. And that second encounter changed my life. I'm, the key word so far has been encounter, 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 encounter. And I'm saying it over and over. Both those events changed my life. So inside, I was mm, forgiven, cleansed. Unforgiveness was removed. Resentment was gone. Bitterness left. Um, outside, I had some new ways to act with people, new attitude, new vocabulary, <laughs> a few other things. What happens when you encounter God is you enter into his presence. And the second song we sang tonight talked about the presence of God. Um, over the next three months, I experienced, that's the second big word, so encounter and then experience God working in my life and through me in the life of others. We saw 300 people saved in the first three months that I was saved. Um, and each time I encountered God, each time I experienced God, it was his presence that I felt. So there's three words now. Encounter, experience, and God's presence. And every time I had an encounter or an experience, I had more of a release of the life that God had put in me, more freedom, more life. And then I encountered God in a big way three months later when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But again, that's just another encounter with the same God doing more in your life. So I think that when a person gets saved, they're having an encounter with the living God. That encounter deposits something into their life. What they do with it is up to them. But if they would release it and begin to work with it as it takes root and brings some fruit, they would continue to experience God in very real ways, the presence of God in a very real way. And every once in a while, God will surprise them because God loves to surprise us and he'll give us another encounter. And often that happens when you're hitting the valley and you've come off the mountain and then all of a sudden God does something suddenly and that's another encounter just to boost your faith and get you back up the mountain again. So I think we have these infrequent encounters. We should have these infrequent encounters, which means walking right into his presence. And we have these frequent experiences, which again is his presence as the Holy Spirit moves in our life. That's what changes us. So if you want to be transformed, you'll never do it with just information. And yet that's what we pump out. So in my life, as much as I love reading my Bible and studying my Bible and I read several books a week, it's not no more knowledge that's changing me. As good and as important as that may be, it's not filling my head with information. It's allowing God to touch my heart and expecting him to. 
changes on the inside bringing about changes on the outside. I've had enough of the change the outside. It doesn't work. I wear out because there's so much that needs changing. So, again, it's a heart thing, not a head thing. It's a inside, not an outside thing. And it's a transformation, not an information thing. Am I right? Mm -hmm. If sermons could change your life, after the hundreds, if not thousands of sermons that you have heard, you would be massively different than you are today. But sermons don't change our lives. If reading your Bible every day is the way to change your life, then wow, we would all be seriously altered. And we're not. And if prayer could change our lives, again, we would be powerfully altered and transformed because most of us do a fair amount of praying. What changes your life is an encounter with God. Now, if a sermon helps that, or a teaching, or if the Bible helps that, or if prayer helps that, that's great. But they don't do it on their own. So we, we need, the church needs, to encounter God regularly and experience him frequently. That will bring about the change. So, thinking about Bible characters, you know, and I, I said that to myself, characters, and I thought, no, they're real people. And they are in real situations. So Jacob meets God at Bethel. And so begins an amazing life transformation. He was never the same again. Jacob meets God a second time, wrestles with him all night, and it definitely changed him for the rest of his life, even physically. He had an encounter with God. And from that point on, he experienced God when he was dating um, his uncle's daughter and then got a second daughter so he had two wives there you need God's protection he experienced God in protection for his family when they were coming back to visit his brother Esau Moses encountered God in a burning bush totally changed his life and his direction in his life and then God allowed Moses to encounter him a second time on the top of Mount Sinai and then God allowed Moses to experience him on a regular basis. Water from a rock, uh, manna every morning, other than on the Sabbath. Isaiah encountered God when he saw him in the temple, high and lifted up, totally transformed. And God touched his life many times after that, for good and for bad. It wasn't all pleasant. Jeremiah encountered God as a teenager and changed his life, and he became a prophet, and God touched his life many times after that. Almost all main characters in the Bible had an encounter with the living God that transformed them. And then they began the walk, and then they began to experience God on a regular basis, bringing more change. So the common feature in all of those was that they encountered God they experienced God, and they knew God's presence. And that's the three words, encounter, experience, and his presence. So I want you to look up Exodus chapter 33, and we'll come to it in a minute. So, let's look at the church today. Christians 
have all these disciplines, all these things that we're told we should do every day. Fast, pray, read Bible, study Bible, worship. And we're hoping those are going to cause people to change, to be transformed. It's not bringing change because most of us can't keep those daily disciplines. Life is too busy. Life is too hectic. The disciplines are too boring. So ask yourself, why is it such a struggle? Better question, what did Jesus tell us to do? Jesus sought to change the inner desires of his followers, and he did that by bringing them into repeated encounters with the love of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day, his followers, especially the leaders of the church that he was training and discipling and raising up, had a repeated, constant encounter and experience of the love of God and the power of God. And once they had this hunger inside them for more of God's love, more of God's power, then they developed their own discipleship habits. Then it wasn't a big effort. We're trying to put something on the outside that should be coming from the inside. So the desire to maintain a daily dis discipline comes out of an encounter with the love of God and the power of God. That's what Jesus did. No, Jesus never once said, read the scriptures. Jesus didn't once say to his disciples, pray every morning. He did set his own example, and they realized that this was the way you touched the love of God, encountered the love of God, and saw the power of God work. And once that was birthed inside of them, they created their own disciplines because they were different. So we know more and more about our Bible, and yet we do not sin less and less. And we seem to have this opinion, and it was given to us by Moody, that you know, if you just put more Bible in there, there'll be less sin in there. But that's not true. Correct information will not lead people out of bondage to sin. If it did, none of you would have sin in your life. None of you would have a proud moment in your life. People are not trapped by the idea of sin. They're trapped by the experience of it. It gives them pleasure. So Jesus knew that sin rose out of the person's heart and so with an encounter with the living God, the love of God, and an encounter and experience of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, they didn't want to sin anymore. And so he changed that sin nature from the inside out, where we try to defeat sin from the outside in. So an encounter with God, an experience with God, knowing God's presence and God's power. Hmm. Now, that's not an end in themselves because God wants us to be awake to his presence. And I think we miss it a lot. Occasionally in our worship here, we get it. We, we bang it, bang on. It hits. We know it. God's here. We feel him. If we have had an encounter with the love of God, if we are experiencing God on a regular basis... Um, that should increase inside of us um, the desire for his presence.
So let me tell you what happens if it doesn't. This intimate walk that you have, this uh, relationship with God, if it doesn't continue to have passion in it, it will eventually be replaced by religion. So we have a lot of people who were born again and truly encountered the love of God. Maybe they experienced the power of God as well, but because the passion for the presence of God didn't take over in their lives, they just went right back to religion. Born again religion, but a religion nonetheless. And they've spent their whole lives feeling guilty that they don't read their Bible enough, they don't pray enough, they don't witness enough, they don't... There's no secret process to spiritual transformation. The secret is simply God's presence. Because when you have God's presence, you have encounters. When you have God's presence, you have experiences. So here's the prayer I want us to pray. And I want you to write it down because I want us to pray it every day, all week, for the next 923 years. Only 923? Yeah, yep. God, I want more of you at any cost. It's a real short prayer. God, I want more of you at any cost. Second sentence. I will pay any price. That's what I'm challenging us to pray. I, if you, you know, if on a level of one to ten, you're at a one. You could pray this. If you're at a level of nine out of ten, you can pray this. If you're at ten, maybe God wants you to go to twenty. <laughs> There's no limit. Okay. I think what we've settled for is a formal relationship with God. And God wants a radical, passionate love affair. God doesn't want a formal relationship. There isn't a formal bone in his body. He wants a radical love affair. And he wants us to experience his presence. In his presence, we will have encounters. In his presence, we will have experiences. So let's talk about his presence for a minute. There's three levels. You know this. I taught it to you many, many years ago on 7th Avenue. God is everywhere present. That's omnipresent. So when you get off the airplane in Ukraine, God is there on the tarmac waiting for you. In fact, he came on the plane with you. There are times when God lets us feel his presence. That's the second level. That's the manifest presence of God. That's what you feel sometimes when we're worshiping together. And then the third level is this personal encounter. It's, um, it's designed just for you. So you may be the only one experiencing it, and you could be in a mob of 10,000. Because God has chosen to give you something that is specifically designed for where you're at, who you are right now. So that's the personal manifest presence. So let me give you a hint about those three. Because you are born again, you are a new creature in Christ. So if you think of that as like a big giant bubble, and you are in the bubble. 
so you are in his presence all the time. You just don't know it. And it doesn't register. And you don't think about it. And it doesn't intersect with your regular everyday life enough. So his presence is not a feeling. It can be a feeling, but it isn't a feeling. It's an awareness. You can be aware of him without feeling. Amen? It's a knowing that he's here, that he's now, that he's with you. It's a reality that you live in and you walk in all the time. So the way that we have to think about it is that we're in Christ, we're in his presence, and at any point in time, if we're willing to pay the price, something will inter interact or intersect with our regular day life. You'll be walking someplace and God will say, go talk to that person. Mm -hmm. That's an experience. That's what we're talking about, that it's it's part of everything we do all of the time because we've released this new creature to literally be supernatural and be in the presence of God. Exodus 33. Everybody should know where I'm going with this one. Starting in verse 15, Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, different, I and your people, different from every other people on the face of the earth? So God wants us to be people of his presence. For us to recognize that when you leave your house and go into the mission field, that you are in Christ and that things can begin to intersect from the supernatural into the natural if you're willing to pay the price. So how do you get there? How do we get to the point where we realize that he is present with us, we are present with him, that we are interacting well, let me give you some steps, and they're not steps. I didn't, I did, they're just numbers. The foundation, so step number one, is to be a person of his presence. Then you'll begin to encounter his love and experience his love in a real way. You know what the biggest problem is? Most Christians do not encounter God's love. And we all know the verses. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Uh, John three sixteen, God so loved the world. I mean, that's the key. That's what transforms our lives, is to recognize how much God loves us and doesn't want to leave us the way we are. If we love him, then we can trust him. Most people don't trust God because they don't know how much God loves them. Okay, so the second step is that we need, because we're trusting him, to walk in his peace. We have peace with God. We were at war with God, and then when we got born again, God declared a peace treaty. And Romans 5.1 says we have <coughs> peace with God. Aren't you glad? He's not mad at us. He's not our enemy anymore. John 14, verse 27 says that we can have peace in the midst of all of the issues of life. 
And Philippians 4, 7 says that that peace passes all understanding. It doesn't make any sense because it's supernatural peace. So we experience the love of God, which allows us to trust him. When we trust him, then we don't panic. We're not anxious. We're not in a crisis mode. We have peace. The third step is that peace allows you then to live in his presence. Be still and know that I am God. The word still is got one one of the meanings in the word still in the Hebrew is be at peace. Chill out, relax, rest in me, rely on me, trust me. That's why we don't express, don't feel the presence of God or experience the presence of God or even acknowledge the presence of God is we're so uptight on the inside that we can't feel, we don't even sense it. Then we become people of his presence. But I don't think it stops there. And the fourth step would be let the river flow. John chapter 7, verse 38. We talked about this the other week. We baptize in the Holy Spirit. We have this power in us. We have this life in us. And God wants us to let it be released. To walk in the power of God. To put God on public display. To move in the nine gifts of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, I didn't come to you uh, with wisdom and big words and large vocabulary. I came with the Spirit, with the power. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Okay, so we Sorry, encounter the love of... 2 hmm? Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. So we experience, encounter the love of God, encounter it, experience it. We experience the peace of God, get rid of the anxiety, the worry, the concern, the pride, all of that kind of stuff, so that we can walk in the presence of God, which then allows you to flow in the power of God. We need to encounter God, because that's what brings life change. Information doesn't. We need to experience his presence daily so we grow and change and get transformed. And if our lives will be transformed through that encounter, people will take notice. So in the surveys that are going on right now, and there's massive numbers of them in the Christian faith around the world, um, the last one I've just begun to read, they actually talked to 15,000 young millennials, so under the age of 35, in 19 countries. And every one of the surveys, it comes back to the same thing. People, young people, look at us and they do not see that we are different. They don't see that we're people of God's presence. Maybe we are, but they don't see it. And they're not encountering the supernatural in the church or with their relationship with Christians. And so they're looking elsewhere for that encounter with the supernatural. So we have their answer. We just don't release it. We haven't released it. We haven't 
walked into its fullness yet. So go back to my own salvation. I had an encounter with God called healing that got me saved. I rest my case. We can teach all we want. Unless there's an encounter, nothing's going to change. And once you've had the encounter, if you don't keep the experiences going, then you get pretty dull and pretty routine, and then you're back to another religion. And then you're fighting to get your disciplines, and you're feeling guilty, and you're feeling shame. And So I'd like us to pray every day that very simple prayer. God, I want more of you at any cost, and I will pay any price and mean it. Don't just pray words. Mean it. Feel it. Sense it. Know it. Understand it. Think about it. Because the price may be very high. So I could have picked more than Jacob or Moses or Elijah. Or I didn't, you know, I didn't pick Elijah, but I could have. Um, everybody. Gideon had an encounter with God. Uh, Daniel had an encounter with God. Joseph had an encounter with God. The other Joseph, Mary's uh, husband, had an encounter with God. Mary had an encounter with God. Um, the way people come into the presence of God is to have an encounter. And we've had that encounter. We're born again. We are people of his presence. We just need more of God at any cost. Okay, questions, comments?